Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries podcast, and this two-part special presentation titled The Mothman Phenomena. For those of you new to Mothman, I'm going to bring you up to speed on what the Mothman Phenomena is. Officially, to believers and non-believers alike, Mothman is a legendary humanoid cryptid, meaning he takes the shape of a man and can stand on two legs. Like another humanoid cryptid we have all heard of, Bigfoot, Mothman has been witnessed by many, photographed and videotaped, but never captured, classified, or killed, leaving a huge vacuum of doubt as to his existence outside of the imagination. Movies such as The Mothman Prophecies and dozens of books have sensationalized Mothman and added fictional twists to an already incredible true story in the minds of serious researchers and authors on the subject, one such author being Lon Strickler, who has done a huge amount of research on the subject and joins us in this two-part special to discuss it with us. What he knows and has taken from dozens of interviews with eyewitnesses will amaze you and leave you questioning the known world. Sightings gathered from a wide number of sources over the past 50-plus years describe Mothman as being between 5 and 7 feet tall, with a dark covering of feathers or hair, shaped like a man but wider and stockier than average, with muscular legs, arms which, according to witnesses, are either attached to a large set of bat wings or not, depending upon the sighting. In this second instance, the wings being able to move without the help of the arms. The wings stretching maybe seven feet from tip to tip and made of fairly thin skin, much like a large bat, and a head which appears almost sunken into the shoulders and top of torso, always with glowing, large, red eyes. It perches on tree limbs and sometimes towers and bridges and tops of buildings, and it also walks although clumsily. When startled, it has been reported many times that it can quickly propel itself upward and out of sight without the use of its wings, an apparent supernatural ability which separates Mothman from other creatures, along with its constantly glowing red eyes. With wings, it can glide as well as power itself in flight, with witnesses saying it has followed their cars at speeds of over 90 miles an hour. It is typically non-aggressive toward humans, there being no recorded instances of this creature attacking humans, but it is thought to be able to kill large dogs, although this has not been actually witnessed other than reports of dogs disappearing in the presence of this creature. Witness sightings of Mothman are also accompanied by reports of strange lights in the sky, round orbs, sometimes white, sometimes colored, and increased paranormal activity in the immediate areas of the sightings. Sightings matching the description just given are sporadic, but have been recorded for decades and continue today. However, the great percentage of sightings center around the Ohio River Valley in 1966-67 and Chicago, Illinois in 2017. Lon Strickler's area of expertise is the Chicago Mothman phenomenon all of which happened within a 10-month period in 2017. And we'll talk to him as we go forward in this story. 
Mothman has inspired more documentaries and books and social media comments than most mythological monsters with his rumored ability to be the predictor of doom. Thanks to author John Keels identifying the appearance of Mothman in West Virginia as possibly heralding the collapse of the Silver Bridge connecting Point Pleasant, West Virginia with Gallipolis, Ohio. The disaster which followed 10 months of Mothman sightings in that area in 1966-67. Keel wrote the Mothman prophecies which inspired the movie. I've been deep into research on this semi-cryptozoological wonder now for months, waiting until I had enough to come forward with. After listening to documentaries and reading eyewitness accounts, after sifting through the books that offer an entertaining mix of fact and fiction, after combing through police, newspaper, and MUFON reports, and listening to hours of interviews with the guys in the know, I think the creature that we call Mothman has existed for brief intervals here on Earth. And that's what led me to do this story. To the best of my knowledge, he has harmed no one and he hasn't been caught, although some people have photographed him at a distance, if you can believe it. He seems to have a paralyzing effect on people who get close enough for a picture. And the last thing they're thinking of, to be fair, is trying a selfie. The brain has already sent the run-for-your-life message to the muscles, and judging from responses, they either run, stand still shocked, or drop to the ground totally helpless. It would be pretty shocking, you have to admit, to run into something that big that's not of this earth. Mothman's story takes a lot of twist, and thanks to some creative authors, includes a variety of paranormal genres, which include prophecies, men in black, UFOs, telepathy, static-causing radio wave interference, black holes, time slips, all resulting in terrified witnesses, calls to the sheriff's office, conspiracy theories, and even missing dogs. Then there's the theories. He's a shapeshifter, an Indian curse, the thunderbird of Indian legend, a UFO planet-to-planet creature drop, this time a product of an alien man-creature hybridization program, a response to our inner psychic call for help, predator that changes dimensions in response to cataclysmic change, a non-extinct dinosaur, a visiting alien, a demonic creature, a total hoax, or just a figment of our collective imagination. We'll cover them all here, and I think you'll find the stories fascinating and thought-provoking. Although winged humanoids have existed as myths and legends since the dawn of man, we're going to begin with the 1966 Mothman flap that really started the controversy of today. And it all began in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. November 12th, 1966, was a fairly average day here on Earth. Notable to astronomers, first, as a good portion of the southern hemisphere was darkened by a total solar eclipse. And this is the second time in this story that I can tie a rash of Mothman sightings with an eclipse. Probably just a coincidence, but if you're taking notes, there it is. The path of totality cut a swath across South America from north of Lima, Peru, passing the northeastern tip of Chile, Bolivia, Argentina, and southwestern tip of Nembeku Department in Paraguay, nearly to the southernmost tip of Brazil. 
November 12, 1966, was also notable at the time to five gravediggers in West Virginia and later to 40 followers of the paranormal because it was the first announced documented sighting of a giant flying man-shaped nemesis with glowing red eyes, which has since taken in the name of Mothman, and whose name and appearance has become synonymous, at least in one theory, with impending doom and disaster, thanks to a major bridge collapse in that area, which occurred 13 months after the first sighting, and killed 46 people, injuring many others. When the Silver Bridge connecting Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and Gallipolis, Ohio, suddenly collapsed during rush hour into the icy river. In my humble opinion, Mothman will have to go down as one of the 12 cryptozoological wonders of the 20th century, among which you can also count Bigfoot and all his cousins, Nessie and her ilk, Chupacabras, the Maryland Goatman, and I'll be getting to him in the weeks to come, giant octopuses, vampire beasts, Wolfman, the Mongolian Deathworm, the Monkey Man of Delhi, Kentucky's Pope Lick Monster, Giant Killer Cats, and the Wendigo of Maine and Canada, one of my favorite short stories over at 1001 Classics. They would all make a great supernatural superheroes team if it weren't for the fact that these creatures are, according to terrified witnesses, scary as hell to be around. If they're all slipping in and out of time warps into some alternate reality, as has been theorized, I sure as hell don't want to see the other side. There were over 100 documented sightings of Mothman in the Point Pleasant area of West Virginia and surrounding, says author John Keel, who we're going to be getting to in a moment, and nearby towns in Ohio in the year preceding the bridge collapse, and just as many reports of unusual paranormal activity during that time, activity ranging from UFOs to strange lights in the sky to close encounters with unusual human-looking visitors, to men in black suits claiming to be paranormal investigators, but whose language and actions were not at all what you would consider normal. There have been a number of Mothman-related books, notable among them being cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman's Mothman and Other Curious Encounters, and John Keel's The Mothman Prophecies, which spawned a movie by the same name starring Richard Gere and Laura Linney. Keel was a young reporter from New York who had been following the Mothman stories up until the bridge collapse in the fall of 67, at which point he felt beyond a doubt that there was a connection between the Mothman stories and the bridge disaster. So he packed up and headed for Point Pleasant, West Virginia to interview as many people as he could and write the story. And it was a blockbuster. Another author named Gray Barker, who was a West Virginia native, and who was involved in the Braxton County, West Virginia monster story, that event happening in 1952, book in 1956, which is in our archives, had done a Mothman story before Keel, titled, They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers. And it was Gray Barker who first announced the presence of men in black appearing wherever there was a rash of paranormal activity occurring. Many say this mention and his following men in black book were entirely fiction. But when you're dealing with the paranormal, many are going to call everything you write fiction. You can decide whether imaginative storylines help or hurt our quest to understand what's really going on in the world of the paranormal. Many of you, I'm sure, recall that Men in Black is a 1997 American science fiction action comedy which was loosely adapted from the Men in Black comic book series 
created by Lowell Cunningham and Sandy Carruthers. The film stars Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith as two agents of a secret organization called the Men in Black, who supervise extraterrestrial life forms who live on Earth and hide their existence from ordinary humans. Interesting, interesting concept. And somehow makes me wonder who is pulling the strings in all those cattle mutilations. But that's for another day. As usual, I'll relay the Mothman story to you and let you decide what's fact and what's conjecture for the sake of selling books and movies. But there is a story here with regard to Mothman and, like the Braxton County monster, it seems to be a one-of-a-kind creature or creatures or man-creature hybrid from another time or dimension that somehow found its way into our Earth in the past century and made a large impression in a short period of time. And, like the Braxton County monster, Mothman seems to be connected to increased UFO sightings and paranormal activity. I was convinced that the Braxton County monster was actually an alien-built robot pilot provided with self-propulsion when outside the ship. Its ship, a part of a fleet of six crafts, had crashed, as well as others that evening in 1952. The robot, which scared the bejesus out of a group of locals who came upon it, as well as the ship, either managed to disappear before it could be picked up, or is sitting in the top-secret hangar at Wright-Patterson, a probability which would surprise no one who has studied what goes on there in terms of rumored jet propulsion studies involving extraterrestrial craft. As for the men in black, most of you were with me when we did the Close Encounter story, and we know for sure, based upon one-time Project Bluebeck director Dr. Alan Hynek's book, The Hynek UFO Report, that for a period of time, the USAF turned against Project Blue Book, replaced Hynek with a skeptic, and had assigned agents to debunk all incoming UFO reports in order not to frighten the public. These men in black, very likely the source for Barker's men in black theme, upon which he creatively improved. On that day, November 12, 1966, Five men were busy digging a grave in Clendenin, West Virginia, when they saw a large, brown, winged creature noisily leave its perch on a nearby tree and glide toward them, within seconds flying silently over their heads, giving them a good look. The creature was built like a man, with legs, a body, some type of head not easily identifiable, and wings, not arms. They approximated the wingspan at seven feet from tip to tip and said that the body looked larger than a man's, was maybe seven feet in length, and, yes, was definitely man-shaped in every way, except that it had wings, like huge bat wings. It glided and flew noiselessly. Only the sound of it leaving the tree had been heard by them. They reported it to the police, and that went no further as you might expect until a few days later. Three days later, another sighting occurred. At about 10.30 on the evening of November 15th, Newell Partridge, a local building contractor who lived in Salem, and this was about 90 miles from Point Pleasant, was watching television when his screen suddenly went dark. He stated that a weird pattern filled the screen. And then he heard loud whining sounds from outside that raised in pitch and then ceased. It sounded like a generator winding up, he later stated. Partridge's dog, Bandit, 
began to howl out on the front porch, and Nua went out to see what was going on. When he walked outside, he saw Bandit facing the hay barn, about 150 yards from the house. Puzzled, Partridge turned a flashlight in that direction and spotted two red circles that looked like eyes or bicycle reflectors. Their moving red orbs were certainly not animals' eyes, he believed, and the sight of them frightened him. Bandit, an experienced hunting dog and protective of his territory, shot off across the yard in pursuit of the glowing eyes. Partridge called for him to stop, but the animal paid no attention. His owner turned and went back into the house for his gun, but then was too scared to go back outside again. He slept that night with his gun propped up next to the bed. The next morning, he realized that Bandit had disappeared. The dog had still not shown up two days later when Partridge read in the newspaper about the sightings in Point Pleasant that night. That same evening, November 15, 1966, in nearby Point Pleasant, West Virginia, a small city located at the meeting place of the Ohio and Kanawha Rivers, two married couples out joyriding both spotted, according to newspaper accounts, a white-winged, human-sized creature with fiery eyes standing in front of their car headlights. They took off, and the creature followed them right up to the city limits of Point Pleasant. Hi, everyone. The holiday season is upon us, and I'll be glued to the telly for BritBox on many a night. I've already shared with you the fact that I keep up with Father Brown and Poirot at BritBox. I also check out their new stuff, like the new series Archie, which tells the story of Archie Leach, otherwise known to millions of filmgoers as Cary Grant. This story comes from his daughter Jennifer Grant and ex-wife Diane Cannon. It's a series. The performance of Jason Isaacs, who plays Cary Grant, is top-notch. I highly recommend it. You can only find it on my favorite TV, BritBox. Sign up to BritBox today to stream Archie and other fan favorites today from any device. I have a special limited-time offer for my U.S. and Canadian listeners. Get 50% off your first month when you sign up for a monthly plan, but only if you go to BritBox.com and use my promo code 1001STORIES at checkout. Don't wait. Get 50% off your first month. Just use promo code 1001STORIES at BritBox.com. Try it. You'll like it. The incident was reported to the local sheriff, who went to the lover's lane and searched around and reported seeing a puff of smoke in a nearby area. Possibly this creature taking off and landing again, but no creature. Steve Mallet was one of those witnesses. It was like a man with wings, he recounted to the Point Pleasant Register. It wasn't anything like you'd seen on TV or in a monster movie. Another witness, Roger Scarberry, described the creature as having red eyes about two inches in diameter and six inches apart. Scarberry said that had he seen the creature by himself, he wouldn't have said anything. But there were four of us who saw it. That evening, the two young married couples were night joyriding in Roger's 57 Chevy and decided to stop at a remote hangout spot known locally as the TNT area at about 11.30 p.m. The front seat was occupied by Roger and Linda Scarberry, the back, Steve and Mary Mallet. It was common in those days for couples to head for the remote TNT plant, as it was called, to park and drink and meet others. And the just-married foursome thought it might be fun to relive the old days and visit the area. It was a large area, surrounded by forest preserve, and dotted with concrete domes that at one time were used by the government for explosive storage. 
it was rumored, for explosive storage. Stories of underground tunnels that ran throughout the TNT were part of the weirdness that attracted people to the site. They pulled next to the abandoned North Power Plant, and only seconds after parking, saw what looked like two huge red glowing eyes in the glare of their headlights, which they hadn't yet turned off. Steve noticed the eyes first and said, Hey, look at this! And as their eyes focused, they could all see that the eyes belonged to some kind of a large creature. The moment the headlights caught it, it turned and disappeared around the corner of the power plant, wobbling unsteadily as it did so, its wings tucked behind it. Linda described the creature as having circular, fiery red eyes and a body like a man, but with wings. And they all agreed that the creature was either six or seven feet tall, with wings folded against its back. It was a half-man, half-winged creature. Linda Mallet said, You could see the muscles in its legs. The two couples could not believe what they had seen, and were trying to process it all as they quickly left the area and got back on Route 62. The fear was tangible, and Linda called for Roger to hurry. This was a remote, hilly area outside of town. The moon was bright that night, and as they went by a large billboard situated on a curve, they saw the creature on the hill near the billboard. And as the Chevy came within its view, they saw the wings come out, and the creature, or monster, or whatever it was, headed straight up in the air. Now the Chevy was racing along down the deserted highway, its four occupants in a wild panic, the two women screaming in fear as they saw the winged creature swoop down over the car, veering left and right as Roger swerved left and right. The pedal floored, and the Chevy now doing over 100 miles per hour. We didn't know what it was, recalled Linda. We've never been so scared. What was mind-blowing was the fact that even at 100 miles per hour, the creature was keeping up with them. What the hell was it? Linda Mallet reported that when it got close, it emitted a strange squeak, like a big mouse as she described it, the only sound other than the beating and flapping of its wings. The shadow of the creature that the moon cast was visible first to the right, then to the left of the speeding car, and occasionally they could hear the wings beating against the top of the Chevy as it got close. He's trying to pick us up. And it did seem he was trying to pick the car up. But as Roger was thinking, 3,280 pounds of steel? No way. And he kept it floored. Finally, the lights of Point Pleasant came within sight. And as they neared the small city, the creature veered off. And they pulled off the road into the parking lot of the well-lit Dairyland. At first, they sat in stunned silence. Then they all spoke at once, and the ideas flew. We need to call the police, said Linda. But Steve and Roger said, No, they're not going to believe any of this. It's too crazy. We'll be the laughingstock of the town. Steve tapped Roger on the shoulder. We got to go back. Oh, no, we're not going back there. I say we go back. We've got to find out what this thing is. Do you girls want to stay here while we go check? The women both answered in unison, You're not leaving us here. And with that, Roger pulled out of Route 62 and headed back toward the power plant. They left town on 62, heading back toward the billboard and the curve where they had originally seen the monster. But not seeing anything, they decided against driving back up to the power plant and found a turnaround 
spotting a huge dead dog lying on the side of the road. They had either missed it on the approach, or it had just been hit within the thirty minutes that they'd been in the Dairyland parking lot. As they turned the car, the winged creature jumped out of the nearby bushes, jumped directly over their car, then disappeared into the blackness of a nearby field. That put the final chill in them, and they decided to go to the police. Something was flying around Point Pleasant, and where there was one, there could be more. They didn't know if it was sinister or not, but it had scared the crap out of them, and it looked lethal. The four drove back into Point Pleasant and parked at Tiny's Diner, where they used the diner phone to call the police. Within minutes, Deputy Millard Halstead was taking their report as they described seeing a large winged creature whose eyes glowed red when the car headlights illuminated it. They described it as a flying man with ten-foot wings that had pursued their car. Halstead was incredulous. He could understand a story like this coming from a drunk or a prankster, but here he had four clearly terrified men and women who were insisting that they had seen something very unusual. And this was a small town. He knew all of them to be rational people and types that would not pull a prank like this. He offered to follow them in his patrol car back to the spot where they had first seen the creature so he could investigate. When they arrived at the TNT area, Halstead pulled a spotlight out of his trunk and shined it around the tree lines. His police radio was making strange static sounds he had not heard before, but he was finding nothing unusual at the site. The four witnesses sat in the 57 Chevy and called out to him that they were seeing shadows circling nearby and that they'd seen a cloud of dust kick up from an adjacent coal yard. They were clearly rattled. Halstead saw none of this, but was still bothered by the unusual radio static he was experiencing. Finally, he approached their car and said he had seen nothing. It was time to call it quits for the night, but he would report it to the sheriff tomorrow, and they would probably hold a press conference. The Mallets, Steve and Mary, totally freaked out by the events of the evening and not wanting to return to their home, asked Roger and Linda if they could stay with them that night. The next day, Sheriff George Johnson held a presser to discuss the sightings, which, when you think about it, was pretty brave, as he was inviting abuse from every other sheriff's department in the Ohio Valley. But it indicates that he must have found the witnesses credible and that he felt they had seen something. The local press began printing the story, and some reporter, and he or she has never stepped forward, named the creature Mothman, and the legend was born. Steve Mallett told the local newspaper, We understand that people are laughing at us, but we sure as hell wouldn't make all this up to make ourselves look like fools, would we? The next day, all four of them, Steve, Roger, Linda, and Mary, went back to the TNT area in daylight and searched most likely to save pride and get answers. They found strange-looking tracks resembling what they described as two horseshoes out together but smooth. They kicked open the door to an abandoned boiler, and Steve saw something fly up inside the boiler, but couldn't make out what it was. It was too dark. The deserted site was spooky even in the daytime and was getting to them. They left after an hour's search. That night the creature was spotted again, this time by Marcella Bennett, her brother Raymond Walmsley, and his wife Kathy, who were bringing Marcella's two-year-old daughter Tina to visit relatives who lived near the TNT area of Point Pleasant. The relatives were Ralph Thomas and his wife Virginia, who was Marcella's sister. 
The house was a neat bungalow set back among the military-style arched storage domes that were part of the TNT area. There was an active manufacturing facility there called the Trojan U.S. Facility, and Thomas was the superintendent. When Marcella, Raymond, and Kathy arrived, they discovered that Ralph and Virginia had left for a night church meeting. Their three children, Ricky, Connie, and Vicky, had stayed home. After exchanging a few words with the children, Marcella, Raymond, and Kathy left to return home. The time? About 9 p.m. As they exited the house, Raymond noticed some strange lights hovering above the trees and called to Marcella to look. She said she didn't want to look, but he insisted. No, you got to see this. This ain't a plane. But she ignored him, busy carrying Tina to the car. But suddenly a figure stirred in the darkness behind the parked car. Marcella saw it out of the corner of her eye as she was unlocking the car door to put Tina inside. It was very close. She at first saw a man's legs that looked like they were covered with gray feathers. She didn't see any feet. She then forced her eyes to look up. It had wings, and it was a man with wings drawn up close to its body. The head was tilted sideways. It looked like a bird, but it was too big to be a bird. It was standing just a few feet away, and its head was sunken into its shoulder. It was over six feet tall and totally feathered. She was too terrified to move. I just stood there and looked at it, but I couldn't figure out what I was seeing, she later said. Her brother saw it as well, but would not or could not come closer. They were both terrified. He yelled for her to run, but she was frozen in place. She was later quoted to have said, I knew it was nothing from this earth. I knew the creature, whatever it was, didn't live here. Then she turned to face her brother and still holding Tina, took four tentative steps back toward the house before her legs failed her and she fell to the ground on top of Tina. For a long moment, she was frozen in shock, her brain screaming at her to get up but her body not accepting any signals from her brain. Finally, she willed herself to rise, and as she did so, picking up Tina, she heard the flapping of wings, and she ran toward the house. The Walmsley kids had opened the front door upon hearing the shouting outside, and Marcella, carrying Tina and Frank, went inside, locking the door behind them. A quick check of Tina found that she was okay, but Marcella was a mess her hands and feet badly skinned, and her hand having been burned from falling on her just-lit cigarette. The side of her face was also bleeding. The children inside were all screaming and crying in a panic, and Raymond called the police. He was telling them to get out to the TNT area now because they had seen the creature. He told them that they were locked in the house and that the creature was still outside. Raymond ordered them all to stop the screaming so they could hear. As it turned out, the creature was still outside. They listened as it shuffled onto the porch, pushed on the door, and then they watched, huddled in the corner, as it peered into the windows. Terror cannot accurately describe what was going on in the Walmsley house. When the police did arrive 15 minutes later, the creature was gone. The police searched the perimeter of the property with guns drawn, but found nothing. More police cars came, and then other cars began to pull into the yard. It was hard to keep a police response private in a small community. Marcella Bennett described the incident as the most frightening experience of her life 
and for years afterward was uncomfortable talking about it. For a long time she was unable to sleep, telling one reporter, I would think I would hear wings flapping and noise on top of my roof. I kept feeling that this thing had followed us home. Somehow she held on to the instinctive feeling that the creature had established a link to her and would return, and for that reason she never drove at night. It lived in her head. I thought that it was right outside and was coming after me. I couldn't imagine what this thing was or where it came from and what its purpose was. It was close enough to harm me, but it didn't. She even sought medical attention at Holzer Hospital. I didn't want to tell the doctor what I had seen, but he asked me if I was Marcella Bennett. He asked me if I was one of the people who saw the big bird in Point Pleasant. And there were experts who stepped up, as they always do, to tell inquiring minds that what the witness had seen was a type of heron or a sandhill crane. So the doctor was choosing the safe route when he said that Marcella was one of the people who had seen the big bird. By the end of the fourth day since the first sighting, hundreds of curious searchers were cruising the back roads of Point Pleasant, especially the TNT area, with hopes of running into the creature. An article written by assistant news editor Roger Bennett for the Ohio Messenger on November 18th, titled Monster No Joke for Those Who Saw It, goes on to say, Frightened observers, four young Point Pleasant residents returned to the spot where an unusual creature was spotted earlier this week. The married couples, Mr. and Mrs. Steve Mallett and Mr. and Mrs. Roger Scarberry, contend they found a hoof-like print in soft sand the next day. They think it's a big joke. They think we can go out there and it'll come out for us. It is the red-eyed, winged-back, six-foot man-like thing which has turned a remote section of Mason County, West Virginia, into a dusty, carjacked thrill show. They are the hundreds of curious sightseers who have jammed a 1,000-acre area east of Point Pleasant each night since the creature was sighted by two young married couples last Tuesday. The sightseers know there isn't such a thing, but they aren't about to miss a chance seeing it. The people who've seen it so far, especially Mr. and Mrs. Roger Scarberry and Mr. and Mrs. Steve Mallett, are afraid they'll see it again, but they keep looking. I hope others do see it. I hope it scares them as much as it did us. Maybe then they'll believe things exist, and we're not dreaming, Mrs. Mallett said. The two couples first spotted the creature Tuesday in the sprawling marshy area which contains the McClintic Wildlife Sanctuary and a huge abandoned TNT plant. Most of the property is government-owned. Thursday night, the area was ablaze from the lights of cars and flashlights as the curious traveled up and down the maze of dirt roads. Police officials estimate more than 1,000 persons were searching the area prior to midnight. Every intersection was jammed with parked cars and small camps of laughing, jostling young adults. Huge abandoned power plant buildings rang with the shrieks of youngsters, scaring themselves more in the pitch-black plants than the people standing in the narrow roadways. Volunteer police officers and firemen creeping through the crowds have one major fear. They estimated that each car in the area had at least one gun. One officer heard an automatic rifle bark several times Thursday night behind one of the many buildings. Early sightings, besides that of the two couples, have several things in common. The description includes two red eyes about six inches apart, wings with ten-foot span, 
and always manlike with stocky legs. These sightings came from Cheshire, Rutland, several persons in an isolated home near the TNT plant, and one in Doddridge County, West Virginia, east of Parkersburg. The Scarberries and Mallets said they believed the thing didn't mean to harm us, even though Mrs. Scarberry had to be treated for shock, only to chase them away. At one time the creature came within a hundred feet of their car. In all they spotted it five times the first night. They've seen it twice since. The first night it chased their car at speeds up to a hundred, gliding above and behind the vehicle. It emitted a sound similar to a record-plated high speed or the squeak of a mouse. What is it? They don't know. They don't know. Remember Neil Partridge, the contractor in Salem who had lost his dog? One statement that he read in the newspaper chilled him to the bone. Roger Scarberry, one member of the group who spotted the strange bird at the TNT plant, said that as they entered the city limits of Point Pleasant, they saw the body of a large dog lying on the side of the road. A few minutes later, on the way back out of town, the dog was gone. They even stopped to look for the body, knowing they had passed it just a few minutes before. Newell Partridge immediately thought of Bandit, who was never seen again. The commotion had just about died down when, on December 15, 1967, the Silver Bridge, a suspension bridge connecting Gallipolis, Ohio, with Point Pleasant, West Virginia, tragically collapsed during rush hour, killing 46 people and injuring many others. Experts later reported that a dysfunctional eye bar in the suspension chain caused the massive collapse, but it wasn't long after the incident that people were trying to connect the strange Mothman sightings to the disaster. Was it a warning? Was Mothman the messenger of doom? Or did the monster have something to do with the collapse itself? Was this creature from an alternate realm? This area of the Midwest had recently experienced a rash of UFO sightings, and the story of the Braxton Monster UFO close encounter was known to everyone. It was the perfect breeding ground for wild theories. And the theory started coming. Many would come to believe that the sightings of Mothman, as well as UFO sightings and encounters with men in black, were all related. For nearly a year, strange happenings continued in the area. Researchers, investigators, and monster hunters descended on the area, but none so famous as author John Keel, who has written extensively about Mothman and other unexplained anomalies. He has written for many years about UFOs, but dismisses the standard extraterrestrial theories of the mainstream UFO movement. For this reason, he's been a controversial figure for decades. According to Keel, man has had a long history of interaction with the supernatural. He believes that the intervention of mysterious strangers in the lives of historic personages like Thomas Jefferson and Malcolm X provides evidence of the continuing presence of the gods of old. The manifestation of these elder gods comes in the form of UFOs and aliens, monsters, demons, angels, and even ghosts. He has remained a colorful character to many and yet remains respected in the field for his research and fascinating writings. Keel became the major chronicler of the Mothman case and wrote that at least 100 people personally witnessed the creature between October 1966 and November 1967. According to their reports, the creature stood between 5 and 7 feet tall, was wider than a man, and shuffled on human-like legs. 
Its eyes were set near the top of the shoulders and had bat-like wings that glided rather than flapped when it flew. Strangely, though, it was able to ascend straight up like a helicopter. Witnesses also described its murky skin as being either gray or brown and it emitted a humming sound when it flew. The Mothman was apparently incapable of speech and gave off a screeching sound. Mrs. Bennett stated that it sounded like a woman screaming. John Keel arrived in Point Pleasant in December of 1966 and immediately began collecting reports of Mothman sightings and even UFO reports from before the creature was seen. He also compiled evidence that suggested a problem with televisions and phones that began in the fall of 66. Lights had been seen in the skies, particularly around the TNT plant, and cars that passed along the nearby road sometimes stalled without explanation. He and his fellow researchers also uncovered a number of short-lived poltergeist cases in the Ohio Valley area. Locked doors opened and closed by themselves. Strange thumps were heard inside and outside of homes, and often inexplicable voices were heard. The James Lilly family, who lived just south of the TNT plant, were so bothered by the bizarre events that they finally sold their home and moved to another neighborhood. Keel was convinced that the intense period of activity was all connected. And stranger things still took place. A reporter named Mary Heyer, who was the Point Pleasant correspondent for the Athens, Ohio newspaper, The Messenger, also wrote extensively about the local sightings. In fact, after one very active weekend, she was deluged with over 500 phone calls from people who saw strange lights in the skies. One night in January 1967, she was working late in her office in the county courthouse, and a man walked in the door. He was very short and had strange eyes that were covered with thick glasses. He also had long black hair that was cut squarely like a bowl haircut. Heyer said that he spoke in a low, halting voice, and he asked for directions to Welsh, West Virginia. She thought that he had some sort of speech impediment, and for some reason, he terrified her. He kept getting closer and closer to me, she said, and his funny eyes were staring at me, almost hypnotically. Alarmed, she summoned the newspaper circulation manager to her office, and together they spoke to the strange man. She said that at one point in the discussion, she answered the telephone when it rang, and she noticed the little man pick up a pen from her desk. He looked at it in amazement, as if he'd never seen a pen before. Then he grabbed the pen, laughed loudly, and ran out of the building. Several weeks later, Heyer was crossing the street near her office and saw the same man on the street. He appeared to be startled when he realized that she was watching him. He turned away quickly and ran for a large black car that suddenly came around the corner. Then he climbed in and it quickly drove away. By this time, most of the sightings had come to an end and Mothman had faded away into the strange twilight zone from which he had come. But the story of Point Pleasant wasn't yet over. At 5 p.m. on December 15, 1967, eyewitnesses recall there was a loud gunshot-like noise and, folding like a deck of cards in less than 20 seconds, the entire 1,460-foot suspended portion of the Silver Bridge collapsed into the river, 
taking with it 32 vehicles and 46 victims, including two whose bodies were never found. The other 44 are buried together in the town cemetery of Gallipolis, Ohio. There continued to be sporadic Mothman sightings all over the world between 1967 and 2017's Chicago, and we have a few listed here. September 11, 2001, New York City. A large winged creature was reportedly seen flying from the World Trade Center towers on the day of the infamous terrorist attack, and I'll mention no source listed. 2001, the creature was also reported in Sedalia, Missouri, in Camden, Maine, and in Monon, Cornwall, England. In 2002, the creature was reported in San Diego, California. In 2003, Mothman was reportedly seen in Orizaba, Veracruz, Mexico. In 2004, it was reported in Valle de la Sal, Monterrey, Nuevo Leon, Mexico. In Standing Rock Indian Reservation, Zyback County, South Dakota. In Newport, Tennessee, and in Martinez, California. In 2005, a large man-shaped bird creature was reported in Cache, Comanche County, Oklahoma, Washington County, Pennsylvania, and in San Marcos, California. In 2006, there were a large number of Mothman sightings in Mexico, Canada, England, Poland, Argentina, Brazil, Russia, and all across the United States. And so it goes, all sporadic and one of a kind, until we get to the Chicago area in March of 2017. And we'll cover them, as well as our interview with Lon Strickler and Mothman in Chicago, in Part 2, coming up in two weeks. Right here at 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries podcast. You also might want to try our 31 Days of Christmas, which starts, or started, depending on your reference, December 1st at our 1001 Radio Days podcast, and offers a new old-time Christmas radio show every night. Some of them are comedy, some of them are drama, but they're each hand-picked for their entertainment value, and I think you'll enjoy them. My favorites are the Bob Hope USO Christmas specials. He performed every Christmas for our military and brought a cast of stars with him everywhere he went, in war and in peacetime. And meanwhile, I don't talk about it often, but we do accept one-time gifts and monthly subscriber fees. You set the amount at patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com, forward slash 1001 Stories Network. And it's the holiday season. Your support would be greatly appreciated. That's patreon.com forward slash 1001 Stories Network. Thank you very much. If you can't give, you can always help a friend subscribe to our shows. Actually, if every single one of you out there can find one or more pals to subscribe to our show on Apple or any Android host, we would go to number one in the rankings tomorrow. Can each of you put it on your December to-do list to get a pal to sign on to anyone or all of our 1001 shows. A huge thank you to you all for trying. By the way, we're doing Heroes Live Forever Part 2, and we've chosen two special personal stories to add to our unsung heroes list. And your reviews help us in the ranking. So please, folks, if you haven't sent one, please take the time. The first one, five stars. History Packed, one of the best podcasts out there. John takes you on every suspense-filled ride, no matter what era, he narrates in such a way that keeps you involved. John is one of the greats of our time. 
1969 via Apple Podcast U.S. Classy, five stars, great subjects, great storyteller, great format, great informative entertainment. That from Elzwartho via Apple Podcast Canada. And this one, always interesting, five stars. Worth giving this one a listen from Hoosier2233, Apple Podcast U.S. And this one, fascinating podcast, five stars. If you have an interest in history, this is the podcast for you. No revisionist, agenda-driven presentations here. Well-researched and refreshingly unbiased stories. My favorite, not hockey-based podcast. And that's from Cannes Fan via Apple Podcast U.S. Thank you all so very, very, very much. We appreciate the kind words, and your reviews help us in the ranking. So please, folks, if you haven't sent one, please take the time and send us a review. Thank you very much. We'll be back very soon with part two of the Mothman Phenomena and our interview with Lon Strickler. And we'll be back soon. for what you have your money your assets your 401k and home isn't it all worth protecting nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft lifelock ultimate plus helps protect your finances with up to three million dollars in reimbursement lifelock alerts you to identity threats you might miss and if your identity is stolen your dedicated u.s-based restoration specialist will work to fix it let lifelock help protect what you've worked so hard for save 25 percent off your first year on lifelock ultimate plus at lifelock.com aware terms apply